What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Welcome to Leverage Addicts, the podcast for investors looking to maximize returns through leverage. Join host, seasoned mortgage professional and real estate enthusiast, Blandon Lerm, as we explore property investing strategies and learn how to navigate the market to build new wealth. Welcome to another episode of Leverage Addicts podcast, where we talk about strategies, tactics, and build wealth using leverage. And today, we have a special guest, Han Chen, an award-winning architect and founder of Shape Architecture. Now, Han has a passion for designing bespoke residential projects and tell a unique story for each client. Now, don't let his baby face fool you because the thing I like about Han is that he makes up for the gray hairs you'd usually look for in an architect by putting in the hours and repetition. His work portfolio boasts over 300 plus successful residential projects, ranging from luxury townhouses, developments to private villas and large lifestyle homes. He has helped numerous investors increase their wealth through smart architectural design. Join us today as we dive into the world of architecture, the unitary plan changes that we have seen recently and real estate development with Han Chan. Thanks for having me. So Han, look, I always tell my clients about the importance of building an A-team, you know, an advisor, accountant, attorney. Architect is actually one of the most valuable players that I rate, and it's undoubtedly the one that you actually need in that top five. They bring the expertise and creativity needed to turn property into a profitable venture. So Han, how exactly do architects like yourself help investors make money in properties? Maybe we can start off with that. Very good um, topic to start off with. Um, I think you you picked up on a couple of points. Architecture is is, is multidisciplinary, uh, meaning that we have a huge involvement across the board in delivering a successful project. We're talking with the surveyors, we're talking with the, the civil engineers, we're all the way through designing houses, um, all the way through to the kitchen designers, the flooring people. We see a lot of things across the board and being a successful architect requires ability to sort of combine all that knowledge to help the client deliver a product. So many ways that we help. We have uh, a client base of developers who come to us even before land acquisitions. They put in the offers, the offers uh, go to due diligence. During that five-day or 10-day due diligence period, we are helping them from the get-go, looking over the pragmatics of the site. What's it going to take to take that site in its raw state, turning into a full development? The cost implications of that, problem solving, if the drainage is there, if the drainage is not there, how do we solve that problem? What costs come with trying to solve those issues? Even from the start, um, that can affect how much developer is willing to offer for that piece of land, all the way through designing houses, like I said before, trying to fit in the best looking houses that we can, but also helping them make the most money as as much as possible so yield um yeah let me try and uh, unpack that a little bit and perhaps explain it in a way perhaps my uh mom and dad investor would understand for sure because when you buy a piece of land there are lots of options on what you could do on that piece of land and would you say like depending on what you could do on that piece of land it would change how much it's worth for sure for sure take another client um that i was um helping recently bought a land in um uh, in botany east auckland east auckland has the money to develop um but realistically what are the options so our job as an architect is to talk with the civil engineers, the planners and such and say, hey, what outcomes can we help the client to deliver? So we actually put a package together of several options. If we build 
build three units on a 600 square meter site, how big are those units? How many bedrooms? How many garages? How easily can that scheme get through council? Alternatively, what if we did a four unit standalone or a four unit terrace? What changes do those options entice? How the floor areas, the bedrooms sort of shift? And um, obviously that directly translates to, hey, what is the ultimate value I'm getting for each of those options? What is my investment numbers I have to put in for each of those options. And that kind of helps the, the client slash developer sort of reach a decision, do a little bit of maths, this option, uh, input, how much money, how much money do I get back, yeah. do a quick calc and kind of arrive at your sort of best development model. And so that process kind of involves your different people, like potentially a trusted agent that can give you realistic figures for of sure. what you can sell in this current market and what is that particular area is attracting as well you know you might not want to build the terrace house in a family home area correct correct so let's get to know Han a little bit better. What made you start your own company and what kind of projects do you specialize in? I think from the start when I was a young age, I loved drawing. And so that passion what sort of hit me. Dragon oh, Ball Z? Dragon Ball Z, oh, yeah, nice. Pokemon, um, all those shows that you used to watch as a kid. I couldn't afford anything else in terms of like my parents couldn't afford any PlayStation or video games. So all I did to pass the time was draw, basically. Do you still have those? Like, I think uh, one day we need to pull out the drawings and, and just see. <laughs> they're somewhere, see got... they're tucked away somewhere in the in the garage. And I, and I think I remember one day mum was telling me, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be an artist. And she said, I don't think artists make money. I think you should draw houses. Thank Typical God. Asian parent. Eh? Asian parents, yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, I listened to her. Um, and, that, and that sort of passion sort of pushed me through education, through college, um, university. The drive definitely helps because if you love what you do, I, I know it sounds cliche, but if you, if you love what you do, you don't go to work feeling like it's work. So every day that I'm able to draw houses for clients, deliver great projects, problem solve for clients, it, it's, it's a joy to me. And that. so if you guys are watching this on YouTube, I'm going to pull up some of these over screen as well. You can see some of Hans' work, some of the projects he's working on, some of the design. I can definitely tell you this guy's got sharp eyes for design. What made you start this company? Like maybe you can tell us a little bit more. I graduated. I worked um, under uh, Brendan Rawson um, as part of Arc Office. That was my first ever job. Um, loved it. And then uh, after that, I got an opportunity to co-direct a company called X Studio with my business partner, Owen. And so we did that for four years. And then throughout those four years, with the projects that I was able to deliver, a lot more clients, more clients became friends. And then uh, one project followed another, followed another. And I think it was just about time that um, I stepped out myself and um, did my own thing. So 2022, around January, I set the company up. We are now a team of seven delivering a range of projects, all residential, but we do it all. We do the subdivision that's, that's super small, maybe one to two, and then all the way through to 40 lot subdivision sections, um, all the way through to we do lifestyle projects for a couple of clients. Um, if they're making big bucks, they need a place to live. So uh, we do those as well. Yeah, all across the board. Awesome, man. And if you guys get to know Han a little bit or you ever get to talk to him, you'll, you'll find out he's, uh, he's got the hustle, which is great. And I would say there's no doubt you're an A player in the design game, sort of in that residential space and developments. Tell us, what's your secret source? Where is the untapped potential you often see in properties and the deals that don't come across your desk? I feel as though as a developer, it's cliche, but you got to take risks, but you got to take wise risks and you got to do proper due diligence. 
I think that's what sets good developers apart from the people that are doing it for the first time. Uh, I call them maybe the mum and dad developers or the auntie and uncle developers who just, they see the market getting pretty heated, especially in 2020, 2021, and they want to jump on the bad wagon. The scariest thing about subdivision is if you don't know what you're getting into, you're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to cover the costs. That's something that in a good market, those margins will cover you. But in a bad market, you're pretty screwed. And that's why you see in 2023, um, you see these people selling these sections that they can, can no longer afford or can, can no longer um, hold on to. So I, I break it down into three things uh, when I'm looking for a good property that sort of has some untapped potential. One is problem solving. If you look at a section that not many people find favorable because there is a problem, maybe it's to do with civil, maybe it's to do with planning, maybe it's a view shaft, uh, maybe it's um, no service connections, yada yada you get it if you are able to get a good network going with an architect or a civil engineer or a planner that you can call up before you acquire the land and you say hey how do we solve this problem if i put x amount of dollars into this can this problem go away and you'll find that many people when they look at a section and they're deterred from it and they step away you lose all that competition and then you can find that opportunity to negotiate with the vendor and possibly get a good deal there. And if you go in knowing, hey, it costs X amount to solve this issue, but I can get this at a bonus discount lower than the, the sort of expectation that the market is looking for, um, then you've got a deal. The second thing I kind of advise everyone to do is to keep up with the unitary plan and obviously the new MDRS rolling in. There's plenty of things on the unitary plan that can make a subdivision project disastrous. There's also plenty of things that are coming in the unitary plan that can actually be very, very favorable for a subdivision, particularly in the MDRS. Just a quick example, I know we're gonna to touch on that a bit later, but just a quick example, there are a few areas where there's going to be a lot of rezoning from single house zone to mixed housing urban, and those key areas weren't subdividable before, and so that land value is sitting pretty low. But, you know, as soon as that MDRS transition kicks in and there's that transition to say, hey, you got a 600 section that you couldn't subdivide before, but now you can put four units on it. Yeah. Well, that's immediate value gain right there. So keep up with the unitary plan. Keep up with the MDRS. As soon as there's news, ask your planner, ask your architect. Um, if you can stay on top of that, that can help you make pretty informed decisions. And then the last one, which I think is very, very important, but not many people think about, is that um, it's investing in development typologies that other people don't. And this sort of analysis came from my recent trip to Australia. I went to Sydney. I don't know when's the last time you went to Sydney, but they are so far ahead of New Zealand in terms of development, property, the country as a whole, in terms of its economical and commercial sort of progress. If you look at the projects that are going on there, there's some multi-million dollar subdivisions going on where people are just funding, funneling huge amounts of money into really, really big developments. Obviously, it's a matter of money, but at the same time, if we bring that concept home, 90% of the developers that I see that aren't Fletcher or that aren't like a big sort of signature homes or GJ Garden or whatever, they're investing in subdivisions, I would call, that are quite standard. They're either the terraced house that is the 80 square meter two and a half bedroom that everyone else is doing, or it's like a, it's a base spec 2,500 to 3,000 per square meter build costs with a board and brick. It's what I call a, a house house. And if you talk to economists, they talk about supply and demand. And that sort of concept, I really think rings true across the board, no matter what you're doing. And I think in NZ throughout the next few years, we're going to really, really see that supply and demand sort of shift. And what I mean by that is 
yes, there's people still needing homes. We still have a shortage of homes. But if everyone is doing that 80 square meter, two and a half bedroom model, and they all look like shoeboxes and they're all the same, there's going to be an oversupply and people are going to be more and more picky. We live in this age where everything is on social media. Everyone wants nice things. If you think about the last time you went overseas, the last trip that you went to, you're looking on Airbnb, you're looking at a nice batch. People want the nice things that they can post on Instagram, they can share on social media. I think that there is going to be a slow shift where developers start realizing this and they say, hey, and this is a huge amount of my client base already starting to realize this, those experienced developers. They say, hey, let's not look at acquiring a section that's in maybe South Auckland and, and doing the, the, the standard model. Yeah. Let's see if we can and, and find the better section that's smaller, but we're delivering a better product in terms of architectural design, house design um, that facilitates those people with a little bit more income that can, I reckon if you're over 100K or 150K, early 30s, young family, a family of three, maybe in New Zealand, if you're really looking to buy a nice house, you're actually very, very short on options in terms of the spec of houses that are on the market today. And so I think there is a window there that can be tapped into. Yeah, that's awesome. Trying to understand what is going on in the market, what's everyone building. I mean, at the moment, it's the two-bedroom terrace. You've got Correct. William Corp, Duval, like some of the biggest marketer in that space, yeah. really pushing those. And now just trying to find, okay, where's the gap in the market that has that demand? And probably you need to build the A-team to find out, like the agents, what are people actually looking for? For and, sure. And having someone like yourself is going to allow you to go, okay, what are you seeing on your end? And that's that's really important. Correct. The amount of clients that have come through and said, okay, we've had enough of the 80 square meter. And, and don't get me wrong, this is not me trash talking the, the 80 square meter model. Like I'm doing one myself in, on Cascades Road in Pakaranga. Um, there is... Yeah, don't trash, don't trash <laughs> talk about my development. Like I'm still doing one myself. There, there is always <laughs> going to be a need for that because we have a housing crisis to solve. But what I'm saying is that too many developers are doing that formula. Yeah. because that's the easiest formula that they can do. That's the most entry-level thing that they can supply to that market. It's not actually that entry-level though. Like I always hear these horror stories of those <laughs> like uh, seven-lot, eight-lot developments. Yeah. Like, you, you know, you can have a lot of headaches with those. You can, you can. <laughs> um, I mean, that goes for all developments, right? Um, if they can solve that problem, but they're still delivering that product, I reckon if there's an oversupply, that's going to be the first product, I think, to crash. And I think we're seeing a lot of that happening in West Auckland. I've had numerous clients come back and say oh they haven't had good feedback yeah. they've got the resource consent and building consent approved the pre-sales are not what they expected and now they're just they're not even deciding to pull the trigger on the build it's just sitting there or they're going through a redesign i saw some of that happening in uh, glen Eden. Right. there's so much going on there i think some of them are getting like 100k discount that's why there's that transition i'm seeing with my clients and saying they're coming to me and saying hey let's not fit eight let's probably do six but slightly bigger slightly better slightly bigger let's put a garage in there and therefore you're supplying a product that's yes it's a little bit less affordable but there's always going to be that bracket of consumer that can afford that product mm -hmm. i always like to use the iphone as an example i feel as though people are willing to pay for good things especially in today's society I reckon, you know, if Apple increased their prices of their, all their iPhones by $500 across the board, you're still going to get the people, those Apple fanboys, they're not going to switch to Samsung just because then the Apple is a bit more expensive, right? You should target those type of people because there isn't a steady supply of those projects being delivered. 
in my opinion. And that gives you like a, your niche. This is the target market you're trying to target as well. You're like, I've got the design. We, we do it all, but that that is, I'm not going to say no to a, to an A-squared media terrace. We try and find ways to make those designs at least stand out from the normal shoebox houses. So, I mean, if people are picking amongst all the shoeboxes, our one's the best one. But yeah, it is the trend that we're going towards and um, it does feel better in terms of designing a nicer looking house. And hopefully that translates to the end purchaser when they eventually buy it and move in. And of course, we've got to talk about the MDRS and the unitary plan changes. Perhaps you can give us the 101 to begin with, and then you can give us a little bit about how investors can approach this game differently because of this. So in 2017, Auckland and Auckland Council, they started recognizing, well, earlier than 2017, but 2017 is when it actually came into effect. They started realizing that there was a housing supply problem. And even to this day, it's not solved. You, you hear the government talking about it all the time, Kiwi Build, everyone's trying to solve this housing sort of shortage. So the unitary plan was introduced in 2017 to sort of be all end all solution to that. And the biggest change from 2017 was that Previously, all the zoning, plan zoning dictated that if you had a section and it wasn't a minimum section size of 400 or 600, I forgot which one it was, you can't subdivide. So if you were sitting at 780 square meters on a section, you couldn't subdivide that into two. The AUP scratched that and they said, there is no minimum section size. As long as you can design a house that can meet the standards of day-to-day -day living, outdoor living, number of bedrooms, outlook, car parks, all that sort of stuff, then we'll let you subdivide. So that was introduced in. That obviously helped with the problem, but it wasn't enough. And so I can't remember what year it was, um, but around 2020, there was talks of an update. I would consider MDRS a sort of update to the AUP in which they're selectively targeting Auckland and um, the area surrounding central Auckland. It doesn't cover areas such as jury, mainly the city center and the sort of areas surrounding it. And they're saying, hey, we need to up the ante on that and increase subdivision potential even more to keep up with the housing supply. So that's the target. And what they did to achieve the target was they grabbed the requirements of the AUP and they relaxed all the restrictions a little bit more. So the outdoor living space, and I know this may piss off a few old school people that love their big outdoor yards where the dogs can run around, but the outdoor living space requirement was originally 20 square meters, minimum dimension four, four in terms of four meters in depth. That's now being reduced to three. The height in which you can build has been increased from eight to 11 meters. So that automatically enables every area that's enabled in the MDRS to build three stories. So people that are worried about your neighbors, look out. Also, building coverage has been increased. So that's the amount of land in a subdivision that can be turned into building. It used to sit at 40% for mixed housing suburban and 45% for mixed housing urban. That's both been increased to 50%. So just a lot more can fit on one piece of land. So another way to put it, like, I guess, I don't know if I'm butchering it, but my definition of this MDRS change is like, every single piece of land there's an invisible box that you can build within and that box pretty much increased by 50 percent on the height yeah. and then also within that box only half of it before like 40 percent of that box you can have as building now you can actually build more so suddenly you've gotten like i don't know extra two three units on the same piece of land compared to what it was before. Correct. I would say that the general increase is probably sitting at around 20% of what you would expect from using just the standard unitary plan. It's got a 20% sort of boost. There are, as with every rollout with council, there are some conditions. The actual MDRS 
some planners are probably going to check me on this one, but um, it's related to something that they call PC78, which is plan change 78. So all those sort of relaxed conditions will actually formally roll out in the plan change 78. That was scheduled to come out in 2024, but now that's been further delayed to 2025. Which so- I'm super annoyed about because <laughs> I was banking on, you know, drawing my bigger house on my piece of land, but now... So many investors, when it first was announced in 2021, they said, okay, I'm going to wait till 2022 till it rolls out. And then I'm going to take advantage of that. That got pushed to 2024. And now that got pushed to 2025. There is a caveat. If you are designing, and this is the thing that a lot of people have heard about, if you're doing three units or less, and you do not have any qualifying matters on your section, you can use the MDRS provisions right now. What that means is obviously the three units or less, that makes sense to everyone. But a qualifying matter or a qualifying condition is most people know how to check the unitary plan on GIS or their planner can check or the architect can check for them. It means that the site has to be clean. So it can't have any flooding issues. It can't have any special heritage or character zonings. It can't have volcanic view shafts. It can't have overland flow paths. If it has any of those problems, wait till 2025. But if it's actually clear of all of those, you can actually pull the trigger to do the subdivision under the unitary plan right now. We're actually getting our first round of approvals under MDRS. So there have been clients that have looked at Hey, originally we had one on um, Marindellis, which is in Bucklands Beach, again, East Auckland, a 640 square meter section. Under the AUP, they were doing three standalone units at around 150 square meters, single garage, probably about four bedrooms. And now with the NDRS being introduced, we actually applied those because it's three units or less. We managed to bump 160 up to 190. That's without doing three-story. So if I did, those are two-story developments. If I did three-story, we would be looking at the 200, 220s. He stuck with two-story using the MDRS. We managed to get up to 190. It's now five and a half bedrooms. So that's like instant value gain right there under the right circumstances. So Because basically you're building 30 square meter more, but your build cost per square meter is probably the same, but you get to sell more products at the end, which is good. That's really awesome. And how do you think the game's going to change because of this? Like how should investors utilize this to profit from it? Good question. And it, and it kind of ties into that sort of development typology I was talking about previously. I think that if investors have the capital, whether you get mum and dad to help you invest or whether you you team up with a friend, get a section in a nicer area, whether it be Bucklands Beach, whether it be Half Moon Bay, where we're at right now, or whether it be Milford or Remera or wherever, buy a section that's around 600, 700, 800. One that you can reasonably justify that, hey, if I split this into three, it's still comfortable. You don't want to split like a 2000 section into three, like no one needs a 600 or 700 square meter house. Right around the 800 square meter site area is sort of the ideal. That way you can apply the MDRS to where it makes sense and you split it into three and you say, hey, if I do three, uh, say 240 square meter houses, you're facilitating that demand for those people that are wanting to buy that product and you have the gain of the MDRS sort of working in your favor. So it's like all the ducks are lining in one row. Don't go looking at an area in, say, South Auckland or, or say, Manuera, where a 240 square meter house might not sell as fast as something like a 100 square meter. And you would it wouldn't make sense to do three units in that area. You know what I mean? So a nicer area where you can apply the MDRS and it makes sense and it's going to deliver you a product that meets the market, but also you can capitalize on those gains. I think that's a window to look forward to 
at least this year and next year before the the formal plan change rolls out then you can do whatever because the, the three unit restriction is sort of eliminated in 2025 so and i would imagine perhaps maybe more of these type of property might come on the market for people who are just like oh man i can't be bothered waiting for council and there could be another delay, you know, and they're not going to sell on based on the MDRS coverage. They're going to, you know, sell it on the suburban. The biggest upgrade is probably the suburban zone. If you look at the... It's like, a huge jump, yeah, 40 so, to 50%, yeah. So it's really just potentially if you can look at suburban zone and in those nicer areas and you can identify which one is selling at, oh, wow, this one per meter rate on the land is quite cheap. Yeah. That could potentially be a instant equity game when the MDRS comes in. For sure. That's awesome. And since we're always talking about like before, after shots, you know, like when you go to the gym, you want to like, <laughs> hey, before, after. And maybe you can share a little bit about the transformation that you've done for your clients. Perhaps one of the ones that's quite memorable for you that you've helped the client unlock some hidden profits in their properties. We've done a lot of subdivisions all across Auckland, North, West, Central, East, South, yeah. uh, you name it. There's plenty of examples um, and there's plenty of examples on our website. But if I were to name one, it would probably be the Saltburn project in Milford. That client, it's a big success story because the client came in at the right time and sold at the right time. But I think even in today's market, I think there is still numbers that would work for him. He did everything right, whether he knew it or not at the time. He was a, a, not that experienced. He, he did a couple of developments before. He acquired a section that the entry point wasn't easy because it was two sections in Milford that combined together, he paid around 5.2 million for. So as soon as- it, How big were those? Like, I mean, 5.2 probably get like 700 per lot. It's- it's like 1,500 um, added all together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it was around that size. I can't remember the exact floor area just because there's way too many sections I deal with every single day but it was roughly that size again Warren Buffett quote is, is to be what is it be hungry when everyone is fearful and be fearful when everyone's hungry um, so when you're looking at something that other people aren't looking at or other people don't have an idea or don't have the sort of money to invest in it then you're eliminating a lot of the competition and you're getting it for a good price two sections 5.1 mil in the corner of Milford very very nice site surrounded by buildings that are well maintained one minute walk from the lake good connection to the city center it had it all and had views as well he came to us and we said okay let's do the right model that would make sense in this area so we could have done 20 25 terraced units but we didn't the neighbors would have gone crazy if we did that as well but we ended up with nine terraced three-story sort of townhouses designed beautifully good floor plan good flow they had the living on the mid floor that was looking out towards the view they had parking on the ground floor and then um the master bedroom and all the other smaller bedrooms were on the top floor also looking out towards the view we put in a lift because we um, um we're three-story three-story because we spoke to an agent and the agent said well a lot of the buyers around the Milford area are 70, 70 plus. And um, they're what we call old money. Not that their age is old, but um, they have money from sitting on land for a very, very long time. They sell the land because they don't need such a big yard space and all that sort of stuff. And they're looking to move into a more comfortable home. And so they're the people that have the money and they're willing to pay. The agent was really smart and said, you have to do a lift. So we made sure we did that. We designed it right to target sort of the high end of the market. We spent about 9 million to build the houses to subdivide. Is it a secret who the agent is? They used a couple of agents. I actually think that's a bold move for an agent to be like, nah, I want the lift in the. For sure, for sure. And sometimes it's about talking to the specialist, right? And um, the agents are the people that are ultimately going to sell the property. So I always advise all my clients talk to us, yes, talk to civil engineers, talk to planners, but don't forget to talk to an agent because they 
know what their end game product and value is going to be. So we put in the lift, did the design, spent about nine mil building nine houses and the front five that were facing the waterfront sold for $3 million each wow. on average. And this is terraced houses. And so that proves the point that if you target the market right and you're delivering the right product, um, yes, this is a pretty big investment, 14 million down the drain, but you don't have to buy two sections at once and do this. You could buy one section and do four. You can buy half a section and do two. That's sort of the same concept. So basically they made all their money back just selling the front lot and the back lot is profit. For sure. And the back lots, they didn't sell as fast because they didn't have the view. One of them, I think, is still on the market. I, I think people can look this up. It's um, 23 Saltburn. Yeah. Or 16 freighter one of those addresses it's a corner do you, do you have shares in that or something like no. you're just putting, <laughs> broadcasting it to sell i wish i did i wish i did because then i'll be i'll be swimming in it but um the client was very very happy with the results i think there's only one left a couple sold this year in the early twos but even if you average it out it's still quite a good margin that he's sitting on oh that's awesome man and so many questions but so little time perhaps before we wrap up han with interest rate rising prices dropping what advice do you have for investor in the coming 24 months cash is key you guys know that it's something that you guys our cash flow is key having leverage and the ability to purchase a section is very critical in today's market and so if you're in a lucky position where you're able to acquire a property in the up-and-coming I would say six months up until the end of this year. And this is what I tell all my clients. Be very cautious, do proper due diligence, don't rush. You have, I would say, a decent window that you can tackle before the end of the year. Next year, who knows? My opinion is, and I've spoken to a few agents, there are more buyers slowly building up and they're all investors, they're all developers. So be cautious, do proper due diligence, find the right deal, negotiate, and hopefully acquire something that is cheap on the market and then do the right development for that section do it justice and then hopefully after say eight months to, to a year of consenting and then maybe one year of build hopefully fingers crossed the market's already recovered by then your margins would have made sense today because why else would you buy it but then in two more years once it's all done ideally your margins would be even better and then that return you're connecting with the audience well you know like you're talking about profits and milking <laughs> milking profits you got to you got to <laughs> well lastly and most importantly how do people get in touch? Like, let's say if they found a section and they want to go, okay, you know what? I need to get Han's advice. How do they engage you and what's the process look like? Get it on paper and get the conditional offer through first and then reach out to us. You guys can reach out to me via my website or email. It's um, admin at shapearchitects.co.nz. Flick me through the, the site. Flick me through your thoughts on, you know, what development model you guys are looking at. And we'll help you take a look, pull out any sort of major red flags and make sure that that's a addressed or can be addressed and then you're you're good to go don't email me if you haven't got the property under, the property contract. under, under contract because then I'll, I'll be dealing with like 50 a day and i wouldn't have time to draw so make sure that you've got it on the paper make sure that the the number makes sense to you and then what we do i kind of tell my um my clients that if they get 80 percent of the sort of numbers worked out let us handle the last remaining sort of 15 to 20 percent let us get you to the 98 percent and then the two percent no one can sort of guarantee that a subdivision will go smooth right yeah. um, you can get it to 98 percent and then you're good as you're good as go from there appreciate your time today han and your advice and i think a lot of people are going to find that valuable and if you guys found value in this podcast remember we only have one thing that we ask for is that you share it with somebody that could benefit from it and if you're watching the youtube please hit the like button subscribe for more all right and i'll see you guys next time